Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at WhitRiverside. Great, well, we're going to be continuing the series that Simon started last week, looking together at the Holy Spirit. And we're spending eight weeks on this series. We're going to look at the questions of who is the Holy Spirit? And then we're going to move on next week to what does the Holy Spirit do? And then we're going to look at how does the Holy Spirit work. And I don't know what comes to mind for you when the word, the phrase Holy Spirit is said. For some of you, I'm sure you feel very comfortable with the idea of the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is. But for others, you may feel a little bit wary or even a little bit nervous when the Holy Spirit is mentioned. I think it's fair to say that the Holy Spirit is the most mysterious person of the Godhead. And equally, there's a lot of folk theology, and that basically means passed down theology, spoken theology that's not particularly very good about the person of the Spirit. A lot of passed down theology that's not very helpful. And that's why we're starting this series by saying, who actually is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit that we talk about? So we're laying foundations for the rest of this series. And last week, Simon started by looking at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And he spoke about three aspects of the Holy Spirit, these three key aspects. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is a person, not an it. And the Holy Spirit brings life. So we looked together last week at the Holy Spirit in the context of the Old Testament, how the Holy Spirit reveals himself in the Old Testament. And we looked at how the main way that the Holy Spirit reveals himself in the Old Testament is as the power of God coming among someone for a particular purpose at a particular time. An external power given in order to fulfill a specific need for a time-bound event or moment. That's who the Holy Spirit is in the context of the Old Testament. It comes upon someone for a specific purpose for a specific time. And this week we're going to look at who the Holy Spirit is in the context of Jesus and the post-Jesus world. And now it's important to state here that the Holy Spirit does not change. The Holy Spirit is God, as we spoke about, and therefore he stays the same always. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. But 
And it's important that we understand this when we look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals himself and relates to humanity and the world in a different way from the Jesus onwards to the pre-Jesus. So the Holy Spirit reveals himself differently in the New Testament and onwards to how he reveals himself in the Old Testament. And the reason of this is because he was revealing himself in the context of the Old Testament. And in that time, many, the the most popular belief that had to be uh, really argued against for Christianity was the belief that there are many gods. That was the popular belief in the times of the Old Testament. And Christianity, the message that they had in, in Judaism was actually, no, there is one God. There is one true God. So the last thing that God wanted to do in the context of the Old Testament was confuse everyone in this moment with this doctrine of the Trinity, with this Holy Spirit being God and living amongst people. So instead, the words Holy Spirit is not really used in the Old Testament. Instead, the phrase that talks of the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. And the spirit of the Lord in the Old Testament was understood more impersonally in terms of the power and the presence of God. Ironically, in revealing himself in a less personal way in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit shows his ability to meet uniquely with people. The Holy Spirit shows his ability to be personable enough that he understands where people are at and how to respond to the specific need of the people. So that's just a start to say the Holy Spirit doesn't change, but instead reveals himself uniquely from one generation to another. And that is really important as we come together to look at who the Holy Spirit is. Last week, Simon mentioned a couple of prophecies, prophecies in the Old Testament that talk of how the new, how the Holy Spirit will come in new ways. Ezekiel 36, 27, uh, 26 to 27 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And another prophecy in the Old Testament, Joel 2, 28 to 29. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So we see these prophecies that give a glimpse that suggest that there will be a new way that the spirit will reveal himself. 
we hear of the spirit being poured out upon the people of God. This time will come where I will put my spirit in people. And this new way of the spirit gets launched in the person of Jesus Christ. After Jesus' baptism in Luke 4.1, it says that Jesus returned from the river Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. And then he begins his ministry in the same chapter by speaking in a synagogue in Nazareth. And he reads out these words, these words from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. From this moment where Jesus gets baptised, he becomes the first person to have the Holy Spirit come and dwell in him permanently. He becomes the first person for the Spirit to live within him. And in Jesus, and in this prophecy of Isaiah that Jesus reads, we see the purpose, the mandate, if you like, of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit was on Jesus, anointing him in order that he would proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed, and proclaim the Lord's favour. So Jesus was the first person to have the Holy Spirit live permanently in him, not in a, for a time-bound moment, not for a specific purpose and for a specific event, but instead to live within him. So anything we read about Jesus shows us exactly what the Spirit has come to do. As we find out more about who Jesus is, we find out more about why the Spirit has been sent. And this means that we need to understand Jesus well in order to understand the Holy Spirit well. Our Christology, which basically just means our theology of Jesus, shapes and dictates our theology of the Spirit. And one of the key things we need to answer and understand is why was Jesus able to do the miraculous things that he did? Why was Jesus able to heal the sick? Why was Jesus able to raise people from the dead? Why was Jesus able to do the miraculous things he did? Jesus did not do these things because he was God. 
It's important that we understand this if we want to understand the spirit. Jesus did not do the miraculous things because he was God. He did the miraculous things because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, Jesus already has already said this in the, his preach in the synagogue in Nazareth. But also, if Jesus was able to do the miraculous things simply because he was God, then what's said in Hebrews 2.17, that Jesus is made like us in every single way, is wrong because we are obviously not God. Jesus also wouldn't be able to send out the 72 disciples in Luke 10 and tell them to go and heal the sick. How could they if that was reliant on being God? A lot of the New Testament and particularly uh, the book of Acts and the partnership between the people of God and the spirit of God will only make sense when we understand this when we understand that it is the spirit in Jesus that enabled him to do these things. The only way that Jesus could, the disciples could, and we can do any of the miraculous is by the power of the Holy (coughs) Spirit. And Jesus' partnership with the spirit was largely linked to the miraculous and the power of God shown in and through him. Jesus didn't go about doing tricks in order to prove his deity, but instead he was revealing the kingdom of God breaking through. As this Isaiah prophecy and the mission statement in Luke 4 says, He was filled with the spirit and performing signs and wonders through the spirit in order to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to prisoners, sight to the blind, freedom for the oppressed and to proclaim the Lord's favour. Again, when we use the words kingdom breaking through, it can feel a little bit like Christianese. We don't quite understand uh, outside of church context what that really means. But all we really mean by the kingdom breaking through is that Jesus was bringing snippets of the rule and the reign of God here on earth. So through Jesus's actions which were fueled by the Holy Spirit, people were experiencing God, receiving healing and being set free. And these are the things that we are praying for when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done. And as we Pray those things, and as those things take place, as the kingdom of God comes here on earth, we see a snapshot of the future. That one day the kingdom will be on earth in its entirety, in this new earth. And the freedom 
the lack of illness or pain, the experience and closeness with the presence of God will be a permanent norm. So these miracles are simply signposts to the restoration of the authority of God. And when we say come Holy Spirit, we are asking for the same thing. We are asking for what we call the first fruits, basically a taste of the kingdom of God here and now. We are asking for the kingdom of God to break through into our circumstance. And that could look like many different things. It could look like simply peace that passes all natural understanding or or closeness with God. Healing in our lives. A prophetic word or a picture. Communication from God to us. A sudden passion in line with something on God's heart. It simply looks like a glimpse of the things we do not experience as an everyday norm, but one day will be our lived out ordinary. And it's the most simple and timeless prayer that we can bring before God, come Holy Spirit. At any moment, In any circumstance, we can pray, come Holy Spirit, come God. To ask for him to come and give us a touch of heaven. An awareness of his presence. An awakening of the things of Jesus. So just in this moment. Before we go on, let's just recognise that the Spirit of God is here with us, in our hearts, in this place. Why don't we just pause and say in your heart, come Holy Spirit. May your kingdom break through here and now, even as we look at who you are. Lord, continue to speak as we seek you this morning. Come, Holy Spirit. So as I said... Jesus' partnership with the Spirit was linked heavily to the miraculous and the power of God. That the kingdom was revealed through these signs and wonders. And when Jesus sends out the 72 disciples, he tells them, go and heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. 
The focus in this moment is still on revealing the kingdom of God. And Jesus sends them out in twos to do this. And the strategy in this time is revealing the kingdom of God through the power, specifically the power of healing. So they go out filled with the spirit, healing the sick and saying these words, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In other words, as you receive healing, you are seeing a glimpse of God's kingdom in your life. Then as we fast forward, I'm moving on quite quickly to cover a little bit of time here. As we fast forward to the end of Jesus's ministry, after his resurrection and before his ascension back to heaven, Jesus starts to talk about the Holy Spirit with a slightly different emphasis. At the end of Matthew's gospel, we read Jesus's last words to his disciples. He says to them, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, as Jesus says this, I'm sure the disciples that he was speaking to were getting really confused, trying to work out what Jesus is on about. How can you be telling us in one breath that you are going back to be with the Father in heaven and then in the other saying that I will be with you always? That doesn't make sense, Jesus. But this promise of Jesus was a fulfilment of what was said in John 14, 16 to 17, which says this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, I will never leave you because you will have the Spirit with you. And this is why sometimes we hear the Holy Spirit called the Spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus himself says, when you have the Holy Spirit, you have closeness, intimacy with me. When you have the Holy Spirit, you also have me. The Holy Spirit fulfills Jesus's promise that Simon mentioned earlier, that when two or more are gathered, I will be with you also. A promise like that without the Holy Spirit does not make any sense. I mean, how can Jesus, who is human and gave up his omnipresence when on earth in order to be born as a human, be at every single gathering of two or more people. He simply can't unless the Holy Spirit is both omnipresent, present everywhere, and is the Spirit of Jesus. And that's why Jesus said, it's better for you that I go. It's better for you that I go because I can only be in one place at one time. But when I go, he says, I will send the Holy Spirit who will be with you 
always, wherever you are, so my spirit will be. And as Jesus ascends to heaven, the focus of the spirit becomes both the presence of Jesus and the power of God. Those filled with the spirit continue to reveal the power of God and the inbreaking of the kingdom. But now there's a, another facet to the spirit's purpose. Remember, the spirit relates uniquely depending on the need of the people. So as the person of Jesus ascends to heaven, he says, I will leave the spirit with you who will reveal himself also as a comforter, as a friend, as an advocate, as the closeness of God, as the presence of Jesus with you. As Jesus was on earth, the Holy Spirit largely moved in power to aid Jesus in his mission of bringing the kingdom on earth. And as Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit is sent to continue this mission, the mission of Jesus, to help us to understand the teachings of Jesus, to lead us on the right path, to steer us away from sin, to fill us with God's passions. The mission of the spirit gets greater, if you like, as it seeks to keep our eyes and our hearts fixed on the person of Jesus, on the mission of Jesus that I've read a couple of times from Isaiah. The Spirit's role is to make us more like Jesus by filling us with the closeness of Jesus, with the Spirit of Jesus. And this is why it's important to understand who the Spirit is before we look at what he does. Because the spirit is never about bringing attention to himself. The spirit is never about making a show. The spirit is never about people saying, wow, look at the spirit. The spirit is always about pointing to God in growing us to be like Jesus and revealing God to us. So when we discern anything that claims to be from the Holy Spirit, whether it's a word given to us or an intimate moment with God or feeling or thought that we say, is that God or is that not? The best way for us to discern that the golden rule is always, would Jesus do or say that? If he wouldn't, It probably isn't the spirit. Whether something reminds us of Jesus, looks like Jesus, sounds like Jesus, 
That is the best way to test whether it is the spirit of Jesus. Which is why I said earlier, our Christology is vital for understanding the person of the spirit. When Jesus ascended to heaven and said it's better for him to go because he will send the spirit. He wasn't just saying it as a nice comforting thing to say. He really meant it. We can really know Jesus through his spirit that lives in us. We can have a genuine relationship with Jesus through the spirit with us. I was going to this morning continue on a little bit and talk about the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, but we've got so much time to cover that over these few weeks. And we've done a lot of theology this morning. So instead, I'd like to spend a little bit of time just waiting on the Spirit and giving real space for God to meet with us here and now. The Holy Spirit is God being active in us. It's God's activity on earth. And when Jesus ascended, he sent the Spirit to come and live in and through us. He is both in our hearts and in the atmosphere around us, as Simon explained from the Genesis verses last week. So all the theory in the world is, is great. Understanding the spirit is really important. But what's better is to welcome the spirit to move amongst us, to meet with us. And for the kingdom of God to break through in our lives. Just want to say one quick story and then we're just going to leave a bit of time to wait on God. When I was 15, I joined a new church. And I was introduced to what I would call an active God. Beforehand, my, my belief about God was kind of a God who was static. A God who had said his bit in the Bible and then would watch from a distance and decide whether or not you were following him adequately. With the spirit convicting us and showing us our wrongdoings. And at this new church, they did something called ministry time. And I'd never heard of it before, but I thought it was so weird. And I watched as people waited in silence for God to meet with them. And then after a while, when a couple of people were showing a little bit of signs of being a little bit weird, people would crowd around them and lay these hands on them. And they'd start praying for more of what they were already seeing. And I, I remember thinking, surely they don't want more of this. They want less of this. And eventually what would happen is they would get a crowd of people around this one person who was doing all kinds of weird things. And after a while, almost every time, they would then lower that person down to the floor, leave him on the floor, say, job done, move on to the next person. Let's go get our next victim. And to be honest, I didn't find this a particularly attractive view of who the spirit was either. My view of the spirit became that 
in, the, in that moment. A moment of encounter that lasted five minutes, made you, feel, uh, made you fall over and then be left alone. <coughs> but I thought, at least if this happens to me, I will know that God is real. At least if that happens to me, then I will have a knowledge that God met with me. And how could I ever argue against that knowledge? So each week I came to church so excited for this ministry time. I went, and and to be honest, that excitement started to get less and less over the weeks because each time in ministry time, I sensed God. I was sometimes re-energized. Sometimes I came away re-impassioned. Sometimes I even felt God might have said something to me, although I was never very sure whether it was God or just me. But never did I fall over. So each week I came away thinking, why won't the spirit meet with me? What is going on? Why isn't God meeting with me? Why am I not having this encounter with God? So one week I decided this is my week. This is my moment. And it was at a youth event. And I came forward and they started praying for me. And I noticed that I was starting to sway forwards and back. And I was like, great, here we go. Here's my moment. And I'm swaying forwards and back. And then suddenly I just have a little thought in my head. I think I'm swaying myself right now. I think I'm swaying myself right now. And before I knew it, I was lowered to the ground, left alone on the floor, thinking, why have I just fallen over? That was 100% me wanting to fall over. I say this to say, I was so desperate to have this encounter with God, this moment that I would go back to and say, I now know that God is real because of this one moment. That I completely missed all these things that God was doing in me in these times. These times where I felt peace, the encounters where I felt loved, the encounters where I was re-impassioned. And when we say, Holy Spirit, come, we are seeking the presence of God in order to be shaped, to be more like him. We are after a closeness with him, a deepening of our relationship with him, not the phenomena. John Wimber once said, we don't seek the power of God. We seek the presence of God because his power And everything else we need is always found in his presence. So when we seek God through the Holy Spirit rather than the phenomena, then we will experience God in great ways as he comes close to us. So why don't we invite him to come and meet with us in this moment? If you feel comfortable Why don't you stand? There's nothing special about standing, but why don't you stand? And you might want to put your your hands out as if to say to God, God, I'm here. I want to receive you. If the the band would like to come up, that would be brilliant. The spirit never moves in a way that we can't, you know, we never need to be scared of of the spirit. The spirit doesn't take over our body in a way that we can't move away from it. It's just his presence being revealed to us, this closeness of a God who is with us. And if you wouldn't call yourself 
uh, Christian this morning, if you're unsure whether you have the spirit in you, why don't you use this as an opportunity to invite him? Say, God, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, God, but if you're really here, will you meet with me in this place? So Holy Spirit, will you come? Will we know your presence close with us in this place? Holy Spirit, come. Thank you for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.